Welcome to the Pioneers in Europe podcast, where we discuss opportunities, challenges, life, and missions across Europe. Today we're going on location where Rachel will be our host as she talks with Lauren, serving in Lourdes, France. I'm Lauren. I'm in Lourdes, which is in the southwest of France. It's in uh, the Pyrenees Mountains on the border of uh, France and uh, on the which uh, is the like the wall between France and Spain uh, goes all the way along, uh, and uh, we're kind of like right in the middle at the foothills of the mountains. So yeah, it's beautiful here. Mm-hmm. I'm actually here with you, so it's, yeah, <laughs> um, it's very beautiful. You yeah, don't, it's, not... it's pretty cool. Okay, so I think. For a lot of people, before I even came here, I didn't even know Lourdes existed. And then I come here and I discover kind of an an entire new world. And so I think probably for the average person listening to this, they might not really know Mm -hmm. what makes Lourdes a unique city, a unique context. Like, why... Why Lourdes? It's... it's, Yeah, it's a weird city in many ways. Um, I think... So it, to, to give you a summary, Lourdes has got about 15,000 people, so it's not a huge town, uh, but uh, it gets uh, almost 6 million uh, Catholic pilgrims every year. So uh, from all around the world, there's tons from the States, from Ireland, obviously a ton from France because we're in France and close to Spain, so we've got Spanish Lots from South America, even as far as the Philippines and yeah, Japan. Yeah, I saw some Indians today, I think. Yeah, there's lots of Hindus as well that come. It's That's a bit of an anomaly. That's a new thing. Um, but yeah, up to 6 million people come to to our small town uh, seeking uh, healing, asking the Virgin Mary to heal them. So uh, just over almost 160 years ago next year, actually, uh, uh 13-year-old girl had uh, visions of the Virgin Mary uh, in a cave just in just outside of the, t- the small at the time. It was a tiny village. Um, and then people started following her after these series of 18 apparitions. And then people started coming to this apparition site, this site of the Virgin Mary's appearance. And out of that apparitions, like... Uh, there was one of the visions that said you need to dig in this cave and then water came up from that cave. And so then people come now for this water that supposedly uh, leads people to uh, brings people, brings healing to people. So people come and they fill up big drums full of water and they fill up tiny little bottles. Uh, and basically every like five to 6 million people come every year and they've been doing so for uh, 160 years to, seek healing um primarily physical or spiritual i think it's evolved i think uh, there still is a, a really large number of handicapped people that come or um people in wheelchairs especially um of elderly people elderly people people that are terminally ill that are no longer have any source of medical treatment that they can use um, and they come, they come to bathe in the holy water. They come to go to mass in front of the cave. They come to ask Mary to heal them. They, um, you'll often see them kind of, um, bowing down to this statue in this cave, like pleading with Mary. Um, it's kind of hard to describe. Like, I think even Rachel, when you came, like, I gave you, we were in Biarritz before, and so I gave you a debrief, I gave you a briefing as to what, what we're about to experience, and I gave you guys all the background before you came on the team, and 
It was it anything like what you expected? Well, you know, yeah. I, I mean, it's funny that you say it because I, well, especially now, I live in France. I live mm-hmm. and work, you know, in France. So I'm, I'm around Catholic culture in some sense. But mm-hmm. coming to Lourdes, it's a, it's a whole new ball game. And I'm, I've actually spent time in the past where I've visited different religious temples and Hindu mm. temples. And I remember having almost a similar sensation because I will never forget the first time I walked into the, the basilica. Mm-hmm. The, the, the cathedral, yeah. Yeah, the main cathedral. And you walk in and the first thing your eyes fall upon is a mural of Mary. And it's yeah. saying... But it says, yeah, par Marie à Jésus. So through Mary to Jesus. Yeah, and I just remember thinking, I mean, there's an entire... There's like three cathedrals or something, and yeah, it, yeah. it just it felt almost like I was at a shrine. A shrine, yeah. And it really was. I'd never experienced something like that before, even being in other Catholic contexts. It just yeah. it was kind of. It really it was unsettling. Yeah, yeah. So it it is. It's unique. It's this unique thing, really. Like it's a unique place, and that's. I mean, that's what I love about it is that it is so unique, and so even uh, when I. When I saw, I think there's two things that drew me to this place. First of all, this like literal thirst for the water here to seek healing. Um, and like just like you literally see people lining up for this water that supposedly has healing properties. Um, no, it supposedly has spiritual healing properties, uh, not physical. They've done tests on the water, so it's not. They haven't found anything like chemically magical with the water um but i think um that drew me to know that so many people were thirsty for healing that they were seeking it here um that drew me here to know that there was so much spiritual thirst um and and that was what this town is economically dependent on um and i think the other thing that drew me to this area is just the uniqueness of it like trying to figure out how to church plant or to do ministry in this kind of area um where there's a whole dynamic of um i guess you could call it kind of like the ephesus dynamic so if you look at the book of ephesians and 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 the story of ephesus of um you know you've got all these people selling statues and making their entire in in the book of in, in ephesus you had all these people making their livelihoods out of um, the worship of Artemis or Diana. Um, and so when the Christian faith comes along, they freak out because their whole livelihood, like what puts food on their tables is that is in jeopardy. Um, and that's kind of what, that that's kind of what Lord, that's the Lord dynamic as well. Oh yeah. Cause you see all, I mean, just walking up to the cathedral, you see all of these shops with just Mary paraphernalia I mean yeah. it's and you yeah it's I mean essentially it's kind of what you described with Ephesus it's it's like they're making their living off this yeah yeah I think it's so normal like Catholicism and uh especially the influence of Catholicism in Lourdes is so normal that it means nothing hmm. and and people don't you know it's like a sign that's been in your town for a hundred years you drive past it without even yeah. giving it a second thought like that's very much that's lured to the extreme. Like that's exactly what lured is like. When you start digging a little bit, especially when like when you came to France for the first time or when people come to Europe, especially, we get taught 
that it's a secular area, that it's secular. You're here to reach the secular. You're mm-hmm. here to minister to secular people. And then you get here, and this has been the experience of most people ministering in Western European context, especially, uh, where they kind of go, but yeah, they're secular, but they're all functioning out of a Catholic worldview. Yeah, they and have so, even just a background, you know, yeah. that they grew up in. And- yeah, like... You use all these words and they and, and you use Christ, you say church, you say conversion, and all these words, even though they would consider themselves secular and even atheist, um, the religious words, the spiritual words, all have loaded meanings that have come from Catholicism. And so what we're finding <clears throat> uh, what we're finding even in our organization is that people are coming to the field, and then realizing that they need more training in Catholicism and more understanding in Catholicism. And so what we're trying to do now is, <clears throat> is use opportunities like conferences and stuff to, um, or, or I have even looked at going to visit certain teams or to train some short-termers via, via Skype uh, in, in understanding Catholicism for, minist- for the purposes of ministry. So... Yeah. So another element that makes your situation a little unique outside of the Lord mm-hmm. factor is you are a started, you were church planting, you have started a church mm-hmm. and you are recruiting a team. So currently it's, mm-hmm. you're kind of here by yourself and you are a single, single woman. So a <laughs> lot of different factors, a lot of different elements of that, that can be a little tricky. So Kind of explain what that's like as a single woman church planting. Yeah, if there are any other single women church planters out there, I would love to meet you because there's not that many of us, I guess. (laughs) The few, the proud. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No, it's it's a unique... Yeah, I'd say that in jest, but actually, you know, it is... It can be a lonely place, I think, when when you're in a unique a unique role in the sense, like you said, I'm, I'm single. I'm, uh, I'm a church planter because we're starting this church here. Um, there's no other people in full-time ministry in this church planting project. So by default, I'm also a pastor. Um, but I came to France as, you know, missionary to use that term, which kind of covers both pastoral role and church planting and ministry roles. When people see someone leading a church and starting a church, they automatically go pastor, even though that might not be something that naturally I would have like, oh, I want to be a pastor. So right. therefore... It just kind of fell on you it just because fa- there's it's, no one it's else. A de- it's a default yeah. role when you church plant. Um, if you're not... Yeah. I mean, when you church plant and you don't start with, this is the pastor who establishes his team and then sends off a church, you know, goes off to plant a church... Um, you still need someone for, for the outside world, not necessarily within the church because we function very much as a team. Um, and that's the way we do church. It's very kind of, you know, there's three of us in the core team and, and so on. Um, but to the outside world, they need a reference point. Yeah. So you kind of say, okay, I'm pastor. Um, and actually, funnily, in the French context, the first reaction most of the time is, oh, but you're a woman? <laughs> And, and I say, yeah, and they actually, they have that actually immediately they see openness because uh, the only role that a woman can have in the Catholic church is a nun. And a nun is basically 
100% servant does not ever have, except for within their own convent, they don't really have any leadership roles. Hmm. Um, and so they don't have any influence necessarily. And so when they, you know, in a Western world, when you kind of, they see that women can actually have um, influence in the church, that their voice is heard, uh, that they can participate and be involved, um, they immediately see more openness and more freedom. And that, that is definitely a positive, that's a positive view of Christianity that they see straight off the bat. Well, that's interesting. And, uh, and then of course, because I'm single, the next question is, well, can you get married? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, to which I respond, yes, I I am not a nun. Um, and then they're relieved. And then Um, they try to set you up with them. Yeah. And then they try and then if you can marry, why are you not married? Like, (laughs) anyway. So, yeah, so, I mean, I've had some extremely interesting conversations <laughs> I bet. Um, to, uh, you know, uh, in, in French culture, especially um, where romantic relationships are very, very important. Everyone is in one. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that that actually that's used, that's been an incredible witness, I think, to see that I'm doing something that like starting a church uh they see that i'm a single woman they see um the freedom that i'm a woman that i'm still doing something i'm not yeah and then and then the fact that um the fact that i'm single and i'm living for something other than to meet a man like the french so it's it's hard to see so many people and i think that's true of the whole western world yeah um or the whole world perhaps but um you know even though i even though it's a huge daily struggle i i don't have a choice but to find my identity in christ and to live for him because i don't you know i mean that's that's what 1 corinthians 7 is about right like you don't have a choice you live for christ and christ alone because you don't have you know and so i think that's that's incredibly difficult and it's an incredible permanent ongoing struggle uh but it's still it's and i i can tell that it challenges non-believers because they're like you're not living for the same things that we're living for like the single people that i know in my running club for example they live for sport they live to run they they push their bodies to the extreme um they are adrenaline junkies in many ways because that's you know that's what they live for they live for if they have families they live for family mm-hmm. and then they live for for running um and i think the fact that yeah again that i'm single that i would leave my family in australia to come here that i would start a church that i would be i'm i'm living like in some ways it looks like i'm living in this completely parallel universe and yet they see i'm running with them Mm-hmm. And and so they they see this sort of crossover between like the world that they're living in, which is pursuing completely different things, and yet, yeah. So it it it's really challenging and isolating in some ways because there is in no one except for except for the Lord that understands me and what I'm doing with You're not all coming th- home to someone at night to no talk exactly to. when the church drives me nuts. Uh, I I have to just 
scream into a pillow. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like I can't, I can't be like, oh, was that person being unreasonable or was this frustrating or, um, or I, I think out loud. And so when I'm thinking about like, oh, should we do church this way? Should we get a building? Should we do this, that, and the other? Um, I either bombard my married teammates with, <laughs> with questions or I just have to learn how to process that on my own and with the Lord. Um, which doesn't come naturally for an extrovert. Yeah, amen, preach. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, I mean, that's again, it's, you know, I do tend to put a positive spin on things. It's incredibly difficult. There are times of literal, I mean, you've you've heard me. (laughs) (laughs) I've called you in times of need. But, yeah, I mean, there are times of, you know, of depression, like actual fully-blown depression, Uh, and because you are isolated, like I think, uh, I think in, in Lourdes, uh, I'm the only Protestant in full-time ministry. Um, and I'm, like I said, the only woman church planting missionary with a special, speciality in Catholicism in a context that is centered around Mary centered Christianity, you know, it's cool. I feel very unique to the Lord, but <laughs> at the same time, that's incredibly isolating. And so, mm-hmm. um, and, and you're in an individualist culture too. So I think, um, I know people that have been physically isolated in geographic locations, like in Africa, for example, um, but they're in communal cultures. So yeah. they have visitors and they're just like, you know, they're in a culturally <clears throat> stressful environment, but, um, they're in a communal culture. Um, whereas I think the challenge in Europe for many European missionaries, especially singles, but in general is isolation is very different and, Mm -hmm. and I've never lived in Africa, so I can't speak with much authority, but it's, it's a very, very challenging type of isolation because you're the only person from your country because you're working from home. Like church, churches sometimes have buildings, sometimes don't almost never have, an office or anything and and so and you're church planting in a town that doesn't have any any evangelical church at all and so there are some days there are some days where I I go to do my supermarket shopping in the evening because if I don't do that I've been in the house all day Mm -hmm. whether it's been on emails or skype or whatever but like I haven't actually seen a physical other person for for a day or two days even and that that I don't think people realize that that reality for Europe. Yeah. Um, the isolation that comes from working from home in ministry where you're the only Protestant and uh, and you're in an individualist culture that it's kind of each to their own. So it's especially hard for us extroverts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think you are, I mean, kind of speaking from another single living in France, <laughs> I think you encourage me a lot in that because I think it is such a witness, like you said, to the non-believers around us to see someone who is single and, you know, has a purpose in their life and has a, a, a completeness. Well, thanks so much for giving us your sure. perspective today. I think that was, um, yeah, you have such a... <clears throat> unique context and I think it's you have a lot of things to to share that Mm. a lot of other people don't I mean that's true of everybody but I think (laughs) your situation is a really 
just a unique one in that sense. So thanks for sharing. Sure. And thanks for having me. Um, well, thanks for coming. <laughs> in person. Yeah. So, well, um, good luck. We pray that the Lord blesses you. Thanks for joining us today. For more information, go to pioneersineurope.com and find out how you can be a part of the mission of planting churches across Europe.